picture it. Sicily, 1922. I'm Christmas Day. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells. And now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Kibler's Culture Nut Jobs 2.0, where we cover all kinds. I'm, as always, the great white snark, Scotty J. Seated across from me is the lovely and twisted Monica. Hi! And we are joined by Monica's son, James, today. Nice. Well, this was actually a topic that uh, James suggested. All right. ASMR voice going on. All right. Well, I mean, you know, looking at it, it's a good, uh, it's a good story. There's, I mean, I have a few questions about it, but. Mm. I'm sure he'll be able to answer anything since he's been bugging me. Right. Uh, we are going to talk about the SS Arctic Shipwreck Disaster. And we're just going to jump right into it because I'm fighting a flu, I'm fighting a flu right now. So. And also, I'm, I'm still preparing our Valentine's Day episodes. Bonnie and Clyde. Because why, hey. why, why not? I haven't seen these cars. So we'll post some pictures of um, Facebook. Well, the, the, the car that they were actually killed in? Yes. And I've, uh, I will, I have a picture of James in front of the one from the, you know, baby done away movie too. Oh, that was a good one. So, yeah. Um, I did not, I did see the, uh, Emo Hirsch one that was on History a few years ago. Oh, yeah, that was good. I mean, that was good. It was good. Yeah. Was, was, yeah. When you're trying to sit there and say that Bobby had, like, premonitions and stuff, it just goes against what we know about Bobby. Yeah, I mean, they definitely had. I think, from what I read, they had it. I think they had, last time, I was looking at the DVDs, I think I saw it. Oh, I don't even, I, I thought about it, if, if I do buy it, it will probably be the uh, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, because that was just good. Yeah. That, or either, in Cold Blood, was the, um, movie was that my parents, yeah, was the movie that my parents wanted to see on their first date, so. I want, what is it that, there, there's a movie I'm thinking about right now that I want to get. Oh. No, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of thinking of uh, doing a story about the Dalton Gang, one of the last outlaw gangs of the Old West. Because mm-hmm. I listened to this uh, Legends of the Old West podcast, and first episode was on the Dalton Gang, and uh, the host said, "Yeah, if the most famous photograph of your gang is four dead members, then you're not a good gang." Yeah. But, I mean, that actually explains a lot between of the 
change in life between the choices of the first two movies my parents went to see and then for my maternal grandparents' first date was to go see the wreckage of the Hindenburg. Oh, nice. So, so it kind of why we're the way we are. Just, you know, that's why. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I remember the first Battlefield the Man took me to, which, which was Antietam, and it, it's, it, it's special to me because it was the first one I visited. And every yeah. time I'm, yeah, every time I'm near Gettysburg, I'll take, I'll take that hour's drive down to see Antietam. Mm hmm I probably was there years ago. I can't well, you haven't been there with me because I'm giving you the layout of what was going on and where the lines were. And... But anyway, let's get into our story. Let's get into it. <laughs> right. The first shipping line to begin regular transatlantic steamer services was the British belt Cunard Line, which began operating on July 4th, 1840. There's a good day to start. With the departure from Liverpool of the RMS Britannia, bound for Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Boston. Yeah, I'd, I'd do my best to try a Boston accent. Of course, my exposure to Boston accents have been the uh, Queen Bee family on The Simpsons. Hey, Princey, say chow da. Say chow da. As the principal transatlantic mail carrier, the Cunard Line received subsidies from the British government and from the United States Post Office Department. Many Americans, however, thought an American line should benefit from these subsidies, which I, I get their argument. Thus, in 1845, the United States Postmaster General asked ship owners to tender for the right to operate a subsidized passenger and mail service between the U.S. and Europe. The successful bidder announced on March 3, 1847, was Edward Knight Collins. On the basis of the mail contract, Collins founded the New York and Liverpool United States Mail Steamship Company, which became known as the Collins Line, and began an ambitious steamship construction program. The William H. Brown and the Jacob Bell shipyards were each contracted to build two large wooden panel steamers for use by the Collins and regular twice-monthly transatlantic mail service. The Collins Line would receive an annual subsidy initially of three. $385,000 a year from the government. Part of the government's interest in the project lay in the potential of these ships for use in times of war. They were constructed in a manner that facilitated rapid conversion to warships should the need arise. The Arctic, built at Brown Shipyard and designed by George Steers, was a third of the four ships to be launched following the, the Atlantic and Pacific. It was marginally the largest of the four. She was 284 feet in length and measured at 2,856 tonnage by the U.S. Custom House measurement, which was then in use. 
Her two side-level steam engines, which accounted for 250 grand of the total construction cost of 700 grand, were built and fitted by Stillman, Allen, and Company. Each generated a thousand horsepower, turning the 35 and a half foot paddle wheels at 16 revolutions a minute at full speed. Like her sister ships, Arctic was built to a luxurious standard. A contemporary description refers to her furnishings and fittings as giving an air of almost oriental magnificence. The Lady Salon was described as a gorgeous yet beautiful apartment, brilliant with light, presenting as cheerful a scene as the heart could crave. Arctic was launched on January 28, 1850 from Brownyard on the East River before a large crowd, according to a press account, she was the most stupendous speech. Stupendous vessel ever constructed in the United States or the world since. You know this was from Barbie. Patriarchal. Patriarchal days of Noah, the New York Herald's reporter describes the crowd's reaction as the ships sailing through the water. Men wave their hair. Hats, ladies, their handkerchiefs, and admiration of bodies, and the thousands of witnesses who witnessed the launch stood for nearly half an hour and contemplating the splendid vessel. Sorry, guys. I know her captain. James F. Luce, the Arctic, now fully fitted out, underwent her sea trials during October 18th, 19th of 1850 in preparation for entering regular transatlantic service on October 26th. Their first voyage to Liverpool passed without incident. In the years that followed, Arctic established a reputation as one of the fastest of ocean liners, regularly competing crossing in 10 days and sometimes less. In February 1852, she reached Liverpool in just nine days and 17 hours, considered an exceptional time for a winter crossing. She became the most celebrated of the column ships and was known as the Clipper of the Sea. On November 23, 1853, Arctic ran aground on the Bobo Bank in Liverpool Bay. Whilst on a voyage from New York to Liverpool, she was refloated and taken into Liverpool. On the 18th of May, 1854, the Arctic struck the Black Rock off the coast of the South Sea Islands, County Wexford, whilst on a voyage from Liverpool to New York. She again was refloated and put back to Liverpool. In July of that year, the Arctic's engines were adapted in the hopes of reducing the heavy fuel costs that were helping to undermine the ship's profitability. The Baltimore Sun reported that the modifications were an invention of a Baltimore firm, Weathered Brothers, and, if successful, would reduce fuel costs by half. Powerful engines fitted to Arctic and her sisters strained the royal underline incurred large expenses in maintaining the vessels. 
On September 27, 1854, while en route to New York from Liverpool, Yorkie collided with the SS Vesta, a much smaller visiting, oh, visiting vessel 50 miles off the coast of Newfoundland. There were roughly 400 people on board the Arctic, about 250 passengers and 150 crew. Captain Reese's first thought was to give assistance to the stricken Vesta, which appeared in danger of sinking. But when he was told that his own ship was holed beneath the waterline, he decided to make for the nearest land. As attempts to plug the leaks failed, the Arctic's hull slowly filled with seawater. The boiler fires were gradually extinguished, and the engine slowed back, slowed and stopped, still too far from land. In accordance with the maritime regulations then in force, it only carried six lifeboats, which the total capacity of which was around 180. Loose orders start drawing numbers. Yep. Loose order these lost or breakdown in discipline among the crew meant that most places in the boats were taken by members of the crew or by the more able-bodied passengers. One of which was the French ambassador, the Duke de Beaumont, who was observed jumping from the ship into one of the last lifeboats. The ship's engineer, Stuart Holland, stood at his post to fire signal cannon on the sinking vessel, and he did not survive. I must go and save my own life. Oh, I will jump into the boat. You are not France. <laughs> the vessel was his midship crash. All were unable to leave the ship and went down with it when she sank. Four hours after the collision, Captain Reese himself and with his crew went down with his ship. Although he survived. <laughs> Meanwhile, Vesta, which appeared to have sustained mortal damage, was safe from sinking by her watertight bulkheads and was able to gain the harbor at St. John's, Newfoundland. Gee, there was another ship that was supposed to have watertight bulkheads that were supposed to save itself and not. Yeah. A lot of ships back there were supposed to have a lot of things, but nothing was actually added to them. And he actually he wants to add part to it that wasn't included in the Jack, just hold Jack under the waves. Well, that's a voice game, but he's still incredible. Oh, 
Where was I looking? Glum, 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 glum. Where are you getting your journey? <laughs> Among these was Captain Lewis, who had regained the surface. You had regained the surface after initially going down with the ship. He was rescued after cleaning the wreckage of the paddlewheel box for two days. The other three boats disappeared without a trace. Okay, so he was on the paddle wheel box, which had to be a pretty big paddle wheel. I bet he was out there noodling to get some fish, you know, just dip the hand in, pull it up. Do what you gotta do. Well, yeah, you know, and I think of the guys on the Indiana or the Indianapolis who got hit during World War Two. Oh, yeah. What those guys went through out there in the open water for however many days they were out there. Covered in oil and other stuff from the ship. I have a, a lot of books on that. It's not the, I got a book on it, too, on myself. I remember uh, there's a historian I follow on Twitter. And she said, books are like wine. You don't read them before their time. In all, more than 300 people died. The 85 survivors included 61 of the crew and 24 male passengers. All the women and children on board perished. Now that's wrong right there. Women and children first, damn it. I would probably not, I would probably find a dress, slap it on real quick. You do that. You you try that way. At least you won't be late. So obviously that way tossing with them straight out the way. You just sneak them with them. So yeah. No, I mean if if any of them got lippy, I'd probably give them like uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage atomic elbow drop from the yeah. Do a trip to show a little bit of ankle. (laughs) If I had my beard on, you'd go. What's wrong? I am Eastern European. We are. Among those lost were the wife of Edward Collins and two of his children. Other victims included several members of the Brown family, whose bank Brown Brothers had helped finance the Collins line. Also lost was Frederick Catherwood, the English architect and painter, whose name was mysteriously left off the official casualty list for weeks until a concerted effort by his friends and colleagues resulted in a belated inclusion by the authorities and newspapers. Oh. Oh, to be those guys. Um, you left my buddy off the list, man. Oh, I'm sorry. In addition to the tragic loss of human life, a rare cop- copy of Shakespeare's first folio, the New York lawyer and Shakespeare collector Alden W. Griswold, now I've got the, now i got Lindsay Buckingham's, you know, holiday road playing in my head. Had purchased and shipped from Liverpool was oh Shakespeare's first folio. God, that's priceless. And it was on the bottom of the ocean, destroyed by. Among the lost, as well were Malin Day, prominent New York publisher of children's books and business publications, with his wife and daughter. The limited telegraph communications at the time meant that news of the Arctic's loss did not reach New York until two weeks after the sinking. 
Oops. As the full story emerged, initial public sorrow at the ship's loss quickly turned to condemnation of the perceived cowardice of the crew and their failure of duty towards their passengers. Well, yeah, you're supposed to get the passengers on the boat first. The crew's supposed to be the last people to get off the boat. Unless it was the Titanic and then you're going down with the lifeboats because you got to roll. Although some newspapers demanded an inquiry into the disaster, none was held and nobody was called to account for their actions. Proposals that lifeboat capacity on passenger carrying vessels should be increased to provide a place for every person on board were not acted on until the Titanic disaster in 1912. Did I get that right? Captain Luce, who was generally exonerated from blame by the public, retired from the sea, and some of the surviving crew chose not to return to the U.S. Well, probably not. They'd get lynched. The Columbus Line continued its transatlantic service until further maritime losses and the insolvency led to its closure in 1858. The Captain Luce was probably going, I retired from the sea. Oh, she's a cruel mistress. I lost many boats to the waters. James Brown, president of both Brown Brothers Bank and the Collins Line, erected a grand monument in the Greenwood Cemetery, Brooklyn, New York, to six members of his family lost in the Arctic disaster. The names of those who died are inscribed on the pedestal. And that's the Arctic. Sorry about that. I'm very YouTube now. So, was this a little YouTube that I watched before this? Like, so, so, um, a lot of we missed on here is on that, and it, actually, the video is in 3D. Um, nice. And it's, it's, it's this black shape of that, like, you know, top. Okay. Well, the one question I have about all this is, did they find the wreck? I don't know. <laughs> but they were, so let me give away. There are martyrs on there, too, supposedly, from people. I mean, they were British, but, you know, the captain was on a guy down to a fight, and... Um, the bro captain on that one. He had, I think he had the knife and the other guy had the mallet. Or did he have the mallet? Can't. But basically, you know, they usually have more Christians. They, they were starting to get on and everything was going. And then the men were trying, some of the men were trying to take advantage of the fact that they were, you know, people were going to be with the women again. I know. There are pirate ships that uh, I know have been discovered in recent years. Mm -hmm. One of them is a Blackbeard ship, the Widow. And I would love to go down to North Carolina because I think there's a museum down there that's got some artifacts from the Widow. There are people. What is known is, is the exact position of where the Arctic. Arctic collided with the Vista, and that the Arctic was sailing at full steam, which was about 13 knots north. 
was towards Cape Race after the collision, but ultimately ground to halt within an hour after the collision. The wreck has never been found or explored. So that's the city, folks. Well, yeah, I'm sure they're alive out there. Yeah, which actually we're talking about Robert Ballard today and his like place work. I'm like, yes, he's still alive. Well, I mean, he found the Titanic. Yeah, no, but actually, no, 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 no. You know, he he found the Titanic. I'm sure you know he sent him out there. He could find the uh, Arctic. Yeah. Which I honestly, I never even heard about this until James told me about it. Which is, <coughs> I know, like, I, I've heard somewhere that, like, the, all the oceans are, like, one great big mass burial for ships. Oh, yeah. And if you, you know, like, start going in the Mediterranean, you're going to find ships from, like, ancient Greece. Uh-huh. Ancient Egypt in the water. Yeah, can you imagine, like, if you could, like, you know, drain the oceans? Oh, God, like all the wrecks you're going to see? All stuff, yeah. Oh, no. Like, there's no ships in the bottom, and no water. Yeah, they, I mean, you could put the water somewhere. I'm, like, this is, like, completely... <laughs> somewhere. I'm talking about... Oh, the water. I'm talking about the water. Water. water here. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. He's like, this is, like, your mom jokes me out, too. But it's so funny. Yeah. I'm making a lot of But yes, it's being sci-fi, like, if you like, I mean, think about, like, um, the Pacific, it, it, in, like, the, the islands where a World War II fight, war, or World War II battles were happening. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the, the battleships down there. Well, and even the fights were going to Well, yeah. Like, um, there's no like, Planes from Bermuda Triangle, the MH370. I remember I put in the one missing randomly. That's what we're talking about, 370. Hmm? Oh, that reason, which I'm. Have to, no matter what that happens, we were thinking, that doesn't happen anymore. I know they said something about, uh, like, Lake Michigan. On a sunny day, you can see down. In the lake to some of the wrecks are down there. Oh, uh, yes. And then you've got, I mean, the Great Lakes have shipwrecks in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's weird is like Superior, where uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald is. Yeah. The water is so cold that everything's still preserved. Yeah, so isn't like really, well, like, same thing you can see the name and everything's still there. Yeah, you can still see the name, but you can you can also, I mean, I think someone went down there, and they were still up. They they found up one of the sailors. Oh, I want to see a picture now, though. Yeah, this is right. This is like, oh, it's a horrible picture. Local images. But you know, it, it's interesting that you know you, you think about it. The oceans have so many shipwrecks in them. And once they get down so far in the silk, they're preserved. Uh-huh. I mean, you can, you know, see the the ribs and everything. I mean, most of it's pretty well gone. 
Yeah, it's like wonder more than about space than the ocean. I mean, do. Yeah. Um, I know when I when I lived in Missouri, I was afar from the Missouri River, and there is a steamboat wreck that you can see when the tide's low. That's cool. It's like the 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 deck and below. <laughs> you can see it still. But, you know, stuff like that's interesting. Okay. But then it doesn't compare to the greatest legend of the sea, the Flying Dutchman. That's not what I learned about when I was younger than him, all that stuff. Oh, I remember. Well, I think I learned about the Flying Dutchman on a Scooby Doo cartoon. Yeah. But that's going to wrap it up for us, folks. We are glad that you joined us, and we're glad that James joined us for this one. You sure about that? You sure about that? Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going another couple of years. Um, wait, see a couple of years since I won? I think so, actually. <laughs> So, if anybody's still around listening to this, do I think we're still listening? Or just probably some crazy guy sitting in a a shack in the middle of the woods writing a manifesto. Oh, God! Kill God's kids! So, kill God's kids! So good! I just love him! And you can't run him! Yeah, my father. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sorry, I just had to. Yeah. Which is what Sam said. Yeah. Which is what Sam could have named. So. Give him a little bit of knowledge. He just gave her the kills and calls it's called nutjobs. Wow. Generations of nutjobs? He's just. He. I don't know what. I I know. He's off his meds. Obviously, he's off his meds, but <laughs> no, he he keeps trying to belittle me, and I'm like, dude, you, you just don't get it. It it, it don't work. <laughs> but you know where to find us, folks. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Join us on Facebook. Wherever you're listening, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> And for Killers, Colts, and Nutjobs, I'm Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Good night, Monica. Want to say goodnight?